Do yourself a favor. AVB Tax is the go-to relief for small service business owners stressed out about filling out their taxes. They don't know what to do. I worked with my guy, Alex Bodensey, to help me through the process of filing taxes this year. 2020 has been insane. 2021, for some of you, continues to bring change. Are you doing it the right way? Are you overwhelmed by all the things that have happened, including paperwork, and you're just trying to toss up that prayer at the end? That's where Alex Bodenseek steps in for you and changes the game. Home field advantage, team player, somebody that you can trust when you go through that process of doing your taxes. Simple, tailored services, quick turnaround time. And I know about it because that's what my wife and I did. Worked with Alex Bodenseek to help us with our taxes this year. We're so happy we made that switch and made the decisions. Taxes, stress to a minimum, all advice, services, documentation, absolutely confidential. Give them a call today, 518-400-0282. 518-400-0282. AVB Taxes, Alex Bodenzeek, helping you this tax season. Now, on to this week's episode, Getting There with Gus. Another episode here of Getting There with Gaz, talking about the careers, the backgrounds of athletes, media members, and in this case, a lawyer joining us, a legal expert, a legal analyst. Daniel Wallach joins us, and as Twitter's called him, New York's number one Siberia reporter. Daniel, you're in Siberia. Before we get to all the sports wagering and sports betting, what? What are you doing in Siberia? Well, look, New York and the United States is a melting pot, right? You meet people from all walks of life. And as more and more Russian citizens emigrate to the United States and become naturalized citizens, you increase the likelihood that you'll marry one of them. And that's precisely what happened to me. I met this amazing woman, Natalia. Uh, not, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great Russian name. But I met her at uh, Equinox Gym, which is a chain of you know, fitness centers in New York, Florida. I met her at Equinox in 2013, fell in love. The rest is history. And now I'm not only traveling to Siberia occasionally, but I'm living here for a certain parts of the year. I think, you know, the pandemic has made um, many of us uh, a little bit more flexible with how we, uh, you know, work virtually, remotely. So uh, given that there's very few in-person meetings, even with local clients, uh, I just I just gave my wife, a, a, I guess, a nice Christmas present of Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Easter, Father's Day, and maybe Fourth of July in Siberia. And during this period of time, we bought an apartment. So we'll always have a second home uh, in Siberia. And it's not as desolate. Uh, and it's remote, but it's not desolate. We're living in the third largest city in Russia, which is Novosibirsk. Uh, two to three million people. It actually has a KHL hockey team. And our our apartment that we just bought is literally one block away from the arena. So just imagine if you're in New York City uh, and you live on you know 33rd Street and 6th Avenue, one block away from Madison Square Garden, or in Albany, if you live near Jack's Oyster House, you can walk over to the Times Union Center. That's how close I am to where the severe KHL hockey team plays. And I've gone to a number of games. I've even seen New York Ranger prospect Vitaly Kravtsov. Hey. Uh, game, and he scored the game-tying goal 
with less than two minutes to play in the game. And I, and I went on Twitter afterwards and said, this guy is the real deal. He is legit top six NHL player. So I guess it's part marriage and part, you know, scouting trip to look at New York Rangers prospects playing in Russia. I promise you this. The next time I'm in Siberia and I want to go do a KHL game, I'm coming to your apartment and crashing your place. Done deal. All right. You want to stay at this apartment. I don't know if you could see it in the background. Uh, we bought it about three weeks ago. Uh, it's penthouse in one of the nicest buildings in the city. And there's an, we, we bought an 86-inch LG big screen TV flat hey. on the wall. Uh, it's like a movie theater experience. So I get to wake up at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. and watch Ranger games and uh, other sporting events that are taking place in the U.S. with an 11-hour time difference. So all the all the games are, you know, early morning or sometimes a little later in the morning. So it's, it, it really represents a different way of uh, viewing sporting events. But I've got a good life here, nothing to complain about. But when this stuff returns to normal, uh, guys, you know, when, when we meet with clients and, and there's some uh, semblance of normalcy returning to our business life, I mean, I've got to be back in the U.S., you know, 10 months, 11 months out of the year. My clients are all based in either Florida, New York, or other parts of the country. It's just this remote uh, that, you know, Zoom has made uh, geographic locations really meaningless because all, because all of our work in business and communications can be conducted uh, in a Zoom call. And as long as you have Wi-Fi and a computer, you're good to go no matter where you are, even, even in Siberia. You and I have talked a bunch over the last few years as we've seen the sports gambling landscape change. I've never really learned enough about your background because you are a New York guy. You attended Hofstra. Take us back to a younger version of Daniel Wallach when you were in college, what you studied, what was your original degree in, and what were you hoping to do at that point in your career? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm perfect. I'm probably one of the worst examples of career planning. Uh, I got into this accidentally. Look, I was always a sports fanatic. I had season tickets to the Knicks. Uh, I waited online in 1985 when the New York Knicks won the Patrick Ewing draft lottery. I was one of those thousands of people that woke up early the next morning to sign up for season tickets. So I was always focused on sports, uh, passionate about the Rangers, the Knicks, the Giants, the Yankees. But I never figured out how to really connect my career as a lawyer to sports law, I just simply became another you know, lawyer who went through school, made law review, had excellent grades, but I had no, um, you know, I, I guess, specific career focus other than, you know, signing up with a law firm that would uh, utilize my talents. But I, I didn't really go after sports betting or sports law for the first 20 or 25 years of my career. I handled some boxing cases. I handled some, uh, you know, horse racing illegal disputes. But what I became today at age 58, uh, there was no sign or indication that this is what I would be doing as I turned age 50. At age 50, uh, I had not handled a, a betting case. I had not written anything in the realm of sports betting law or sports law. I was a complete unknown. This is almost like you know an, a, a walk-on. Uh, you know, to, to a university team, you know, making the starting squad. I mean, it is just something I would never advise anyone else to do, to just basically do something else for 25 years and then fall into this in your early 50s. But I suppose what gave me a leg up was while I was not specializing in sports or sports gaming, what I was spending my time doing was, uh, you know, polishing my skills as an attorney. I became in my in my 150 lawyer or so law firm, the go-to 
uh, appellate litigator, go-to person for any kind of complex uh, brief writing. I basically understood how to take complex legal issues and explain them and argue them to a court. And that skill set served me well when I began to become curious about, uh, you know, New Jersey's efforts to legalize sports betting and the constitutional lawsuit that they brought or that they were uh, defending uh, when when the, the, the sports leagues tried to block New Jersey from implementing their sports betting law. So I took my knowledge of appellate practice and, and court procedures, uh, which were basically honed over about 20, 25 years. And I began to utilize that expertise and try to demystify what was going on in the New Jersey sports betting litigation for a you know mainstream audience, and I think my insights and my articles really really started to you know gain traction and and, and get me somewhat of an audience. I I was interviewed for the first time in my career, and uh, you know after after getting a taste of several interviews from the likes you know maybe you weren't one of the first ones, but I interviewed <laughs> with 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 a few radio stations in Houston and New Jersey was quoted in, a, in, in several newspaper articles and I got the itch. I said, wow, this is fantastic. Uh, maybe I should stick with this thing and, and just ride it out and be the go-to person uh, writing about legalized sports betting. But it was never done for reasons of career advancement. It was simply because I was like so passionate about this. And maybe when you go through a midlife crisis, you get a little bit older, you're doing one thing for 20, 25 years, maybe you feel like you're in a rut and you're looking for some new outlet uh, to apply your creative you know, abilities such as writing. And I was able to marry my writing skills, my legal skills and my experience in the courtroom and in the appellate court system with my love for sports. And sports betting was like a first cousin of sports, and and it was like the perfect storm, sports, sports wagering, and and uh, and, and litigation practice. So it was one of those few instances where I had an in to the sports industry by being the you know sort of the predominant or dominant legal analyst that were, that would explain the intricacies of this case, uh, you know, to 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 the readers and to mainstream a mainstream audience and when i started to get quoted and featured in a lot of you know high visibility media situations i began it, it began to feed off of it and, and and spawn additional media opportunities and i started to get invited to speak at all these gaming conferences around the world and you know before you know it you know i went from age 52 without any plan for getting into this industry to having my own law practice focused entirely on this industry within a lightning fast five-year period. So it, it, it's something that I owe completely to the fact that the Supreme Court overturned uh, the federal ban on state-authorized sports betting. That court decision basically created a new career path for Daniel Wallach. Yeah, and you mentioned there five years. Like five years, that is so much that changes in your career so quickly. And I'm sure other people who may be transitioning in their career path, whatever it may be, whether it might be something in the legal field, maybe it's something in the media field, or maybe just COVID-19 has changed a career path. Look, you talked about how there was some prep work to get to that point in your career. You had done you know, the grunt work, dare we say. You had studied. You had the passion for it and everything else. But when you're seeing how fast this is moving, did you feel overwhelmed? Did you feel nervous? What were your emotions like when you're seeing how oh, fast man. this is moving across the country? Well, I have to say you're a good interviewer. You know how to ask like really probing personal questions. I, I'll tell you, I had no Thank idea. You. I had no idea that one thing would lead to the other, that would lead to the other, that would lead to the other. I was just immersed 
in this um, you know legal drama day by day by day by day, and I was just I was just doing it. I was writing about it. I was focused on what was in front of me. If there was a development in one of the, in in the case pending in the Third Circuit or the U.S. Supreme Court or even in the District Court in Trenton, New Jersey. I mean, I flew out there for court hearings. I was just dialed into it. 100% uh you know motivated and 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 intrigued by this case i wasn't thinking uh you know what's going to be in 2 weeks or 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 even 2 days i was just like so um you know motivated by what was in front of me and it was exciting it was exciting to be in those courtrooms meet all the different players i got to meet ted olson uh, you know, who, who argued the case on behalf of the state of New Jersey and one before the U.S. Supreme Court. I met lawyers from the professional sports leagues, met all the met all the key people. And it was very intoxicating to be in that kind of an environment and be looked to nationally as one of the leading experts on that subject. So uh, it never became overwhelming. It was just I had a hunger for more of it, for more of it. Every time that there was a development in the case at the expense of my social life and my dating life, on a Friday night after work, after a full day of work, I parked myself uh, at some, you know, at some, no, it was a Vietnamese restaurant in North Miami Beach, basically every fr Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And that was my sort of Wi-Fi area where I could, you know, type out these blog posts and write articles. And for about a year and a half period, uh, I lived at this, basically lived at this Vietnamese you know, joint that had the best Wi-Fi and no customers. And best of all, it was open until two or three in the morning. Now, yes, why, why couldn't I do this at home? Well, you know, it, it gets it gets somewhat stilting and boring when you work just at home. I needed to be out somewhere just like that, just like you can work at a Starbucks or some kind of other place of public accommodation. I needed to have some kind of a background environment that made me at least appreciate that I was, at, you know, getting out of the house. So the entire run of the New Jersey sports betting case from 2012 to 2018. It was roughly a six-year period. Uh, I was in the moment every day, day after day after day, figuring out, you know, how could I best, you know, explain this or write about this. I was never looking ahead too far. I enjoyed the moment. I lived in the moment. And when you're passionate about, uh, you know, something and have um, a lot of, you know, just enthusiasm, uh, you know, for the topic at hand, um, that that's the most fun part. It was a whirlwind and, and it was just, it was just so much fun. I wish that case could have lasted forever uh, because it, it, it really had intriguing back and forth, um, you know, you know, the pendulum swang back and forth, back and forth. New Jersey had lost seven consecutive court rulings over the course of two different lawsuits spanning seven years. And they kept getting back and going back and trying to figure out another way uh, to thread the needle. And I was there and had a front row seat for every single one of those court hearings. And to your credit, the reason you were there is because you were doing a good job. If you weren't doing a good job, they would have found somebody else. It's credit to your work ethic and everything else. They kept coming back to you and saying, we want you here. You're the guy and everything else. So credit to you for all the work you put in. It paid off. I, but I, I wish it were that easy. I, nobody was, was, was saying to go there or paying me to be there. I was taking off of work. Hmm. I, I had a full-time gig as a partner, as a litigation partner, at Becker and Polyakov, which is one of Florida's largest law firms. And I was I was paid a decent wage, but 
I took a significant amount of time off my traveling around the country, speaking at different conferences. There was a point in time, and I'm doing well now, and I was doing well before I started this sports betting gambit. When I was not even interested in this field, I had a good, had a good job, making a you know decent, a pretty good salary. I had very little overhead, and the moment. The moment I got into this sports betting thing, I started to travel the country entirely at my own expense. I went $30,000 into debt on my American Express card, and I had no idea how I was going to pay any of that off because you can't just make payments of $1,000 a month, and I wasn't making the kind of money where I could write one check and you know just just knock it off and well one fell swoop the the payments or the balances kept getting higher higher and higher i had absolutely no backup plan nor the choice but you know what i'm going to ride this thing out because there's absolutely no way that i'm going to go back to my professional life at my law firm and handle the kind of cases that no longer interested me i was in this until the end and luckily through a twist of fate some advantageous court rulings and some good friends I made along the way that have ultimately hired me, uh, I was able to dig myself out, dig myself out of that financial hole, and create a brand new career for myself. But none of it would have happened had the Supreme Court affirmed the Third District Court of Appeals decision and kept PASPA intact. Without PASPA being removed, you know, I'm back at my old law firm, probably figuring out a way of how I'm going to pay. How 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 the heck am I going to pay off all this debt? So. Uh, I, guess, I guess somebody was looking out for me. Somebody up there was definitely looking out for me. An amazing story for sure. Okay, so let's focus on, because a majority of our listeners are from New York, let's focus on the New York situation. There's a lot to get to on this, but I think for a baseline, let's start with this. We mentioned New Jersey a few times here. When New York sports fans are comparing themselves to their neighbor in New Jersey, what are the positive that New York uh, wagers and sports fans are seen in comparison to New Jersey, if there are any, and what are the negatives? If you kind of know what I mean by this comparison. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, you couldn't, they're, all, they're like day and night. The New York versus New Jersey sports betting uh, legal ecosystem are completely disparate. New Jersey offers uh, not just the opportunity to wager at casinos and racetracks that number in excess of 10. It also, the state of New Jersey also offers statewide mobile betting through probably a minimum of 20, 25 different mobile apps. You can, you can, you can open up accounts on FanDuel, DraftKings, PointsBet, William Hill, MGM, uh, any number of platforms are available there. It, it is a buyer's paradise. If you're looking for promotions, deposit bonuses, competitive lines, New Jersey is one-stop shopping and one need not get into their automobile to drive to be able to place a bet. You can wager from home on your on your on your mobile phone as simple as downloading one of the betting apps. New York, on the other hand, makes it a tad more inconvenient uh, for sports bettors. When New when New York uh, adopted its constitutional amendment for casino gambling in 2013, they wrote into the into the enabling law um, uh, provision. For sports betting, should it ever be allowed on the federal level, but but the lawmakers were a little bit short-sighted at the time. They 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 included a requirement that all the wagering has to take place within the casino, uh, you know, within the four corners of the casino. There was no provision made for mobile wagering, so New Jersey included mobile wagering in their constitutional amendment. New York did not. So as a consequence. Uh, New York sports betting infrastructure is limited to four commercial licensed casinos upstate, 
I think Rivers and Schenectady is the southernmost, you know, located casino, and then three tribal casinos, uh, much further north, north probably near Buffalo and Rochester. So you have a grand total of seven brick and mortar casinos that represent the only locations where New Yorkers can place wagers on sporting events. There is no mobile. And if you live in the southern part of the state near New York City, uh, it is a minimum three hour drive to get to Schenectady. By contrast, uh, you're only a path ride, uh, you know, a, a bus ride or a short walk or drive across the George Washington Bridge to get into New Jersey. You're less than 15 minutes away if you live in Manhattan or even if even if allowing for some traffic, you're within 30 to 45 minutes of, uh, of anywhere in New Jersey where you're going to need to be able to place a bet. So the opportunity right now is that for most New Yorkers, and, and you know, i.e. those who live in the southern part of the state, it is much easier to gamble in New Jersey than it is to wager on sports in New York because you'd have to go to Schenectady to be able to place a bet if you're a Long Island resident and New Jersey is much closer. Yes, and we're taping this in April of 2021 and I bring this up for this reason. The world has changed a lot since those brick and mortar casinos and those tribal casinos, those things have been set up to where we stand now because COVID-19 has happened. At times we're still living through the pandemic with limitations and things like that. But we do have news that New York seems to be closer than ever before to legalizing mobile wagering within its state. What changed? Was it COVID? Was it uh, rules? Was it? I'm kind of trying to find the data. What was the change that happened here that New York is now closer to mobile betting than ever before? I think it's a combination of uh, you know COVID nineteen. You know the you know the the hard hit that the hospitality industry and the casino industry has taken as a result of you know the restrictions and reluctance of, of individuals to travel to you know, heavily congested areas like casinos. So you know, casino revenues have suffered and the hospitality industry as a whole has declined significantly. So you have that factor. And then there's the you know, notion that um, every year New York delays in legalizing sports betting, it becomes increasingly surrounded by states that have authorized mobile sports betting. I mean, how many times do, does, do we need to hear about New Jersey's sports betting handle of being $6 billion, number one in the country, and New York's uh, handle for, sporting, uh, for sports wagering is almost akin to like Rhode Island. It's one of the lowest performing states uh, for sports wagering because all they have are casino, or just not only cas you know, casinos, but so few of them. You know, New Jersey and, and New Jersey has in excess of 12 casinos and racetracks. New York only has four commercial licensed venues where you can place a wager. So I think there's the issue of, of the economic downturn or the economic crisis caused by the pandemic. Uh, New York's budget woes generally. I mean, I mean, those 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 seemingly get worse every year. And, you know, online gambling, online sports betting is an immediate injection of revenues for the state of New York and the reason and and one of the one of the factors that convinced Governor Cuomo to sign on to mobile sports betting was he took a look at some of the structures that other states have implemented um, mainly how New Hampshire has 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 uh, legalized sports betting while New Jersey is grabbing a tax rate of like I think 14 and a quarter percent on mobile betting New Hampshire has utilized a competitive bidding process, whereas instead of uh, just having a flat tax rate applied to gaming revenues, uh, New Hampshire put it out for competitive bidding. And as a result of this competitive bidding process, 
DraftKings was selected as the winning vendor in New Hampshire. And guess how much DraftKings is paying the state of New Hampshire? 51% of its gross <laughs> revenues associated with sports betting. So Governor Cuomo is looking at New Jersey taxing sports betting revenues at 14 and a quarter percent on the mobile side and New Hampshire taxing them at almost four times that amount through a 51% revenue share. So he, he be, I guess, I guess he did the math and realized that, you know, maybe under the old structure that New Jersey has long employed at best New, New York would be able to generate 50 to a hundred million dollars in, in, in annual state tax collections, which really isn't a lot of money uh, when juxtaposed against, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar budget deficit. But if you were to tax sports betting revenues in New York the same way that New Hampshire does, then it's an entirely different ball game because if you were to if you were to conservatively estimate that New York would generate um, twelve billion dollars in sports betting handle, which is a billion dollars a month, which is eminently doable if you were to have mobile sports wagering operator revenues on that based on a seven percent hold and you know average hold across the country, you're looking at close to a billion dollars in uh, in annual operator uh, revenues. That's one billion with a B. So if you tax that at 51%, that gives the state an annual cut of those, of those, of those revenues of $510 million annually, more than five, more than 10 times what New Jersey is collecting using a straight 14 and a quarter percent tax rate. But of course, 500 million is not guaranteed because um, there's, there's no assurance that the betting companies are going to bid it up to 51% unless one of them can get exclusivity. And New York's mobile sports betting law uh, is going to guarantee a minimum of four mobile sports betting providers. So it's not a single source or a sole source situation where the winning bidder has the market entirely to itself and would, of course, gladly pay 51% without the costs associated with competition. So uh, New York is hopeful that the uh, bidding war will will will, uh, will rise in excess of 50%, but there's no guarantee that it will. But I suspect that given New York's population size of close to 20 million, which is roughly 20 times the size of New Hampshire, that if you were to award four mobile sports betting slots, that would be akin to having exclusivity in a small state like New Hampshire. So I think the four companies that would end up being selected as the mobile sports betting vendors of New York would have a market share akin to what DraftKings has in New Hampshire, which is five million all to itself. So I would expect uh, when this competitive bidding process commences on July 1st, you might see some of the betting companies starting off at 50% and the bidding could, it's, it's, it's not like a, an auction where the parties like bid off against each other. It's a, it's a sealed bid. Each party makes its first and final bid on how much they're willing to share with the state. And I suspect uh, that with so many competitors and so few coveted slots that uh, you're, you're likely going to see uh, proposals that start north of 50%. You answered a lot of good stuff there. I had about three questions and you answered them all right in that answer. So thank you. One of my questions is going to be the competitive bidding. It does get confusing. Did a great job explaining that. Uh, if you're a New Yorker listening, I think kind of to sum that up a little bit, if you download an app on your phone, whether it's DraftKings, FanDuel, something else, you have the app on your phone, you sign up for an account, you can make your bid like that. And you answered whether or not 
it was going to be just one exclusive or four. We're leaning towards the four and all that bidding coming up this summer. There is one question, though, with that being said. New York is unique in the sense that they have the trial casinos and they have the brick-and-mortar casinos. We've mentioned uh, four, one in Schenectady Rivers in comparison to, like, a Turning Stone Casino in Oneida. Wouldn't there be some type of pushback between the tribal casinos? Because how, if at all, are they going to be factored into the situation of taxes and all those things and the revenue? Well, there's no guarantee that the tribal casinos are going to participate in mobile sports betting in New York because the um, the platform providers uh, have to go through licensed casinos. And tribal casinos are not licensed casinos. They're allowed under federal law because whatever the state licenses on the commercial side, they also have to grant the same opportunity to travel casinos, but they, they, they're not able to license, regulate, or tax travel casinos. So the tribal casinos aren't necessarily going to be the operators per se, but the scoring system and the competitive bidding process is going to um, uh, include additional points for any operator that partners with a tribal casino, whether it whether it's by uh, offering mobile sports betting through the tribal casino, or by doing a revenue share with a tri tribal casino, for example, uh, FanDuel or DraftKings can say, "Well, uh, we will dedicate this percentage of our revenues to this tribal casino that we have a partnership with," meaning they'll get the money but they won't necessarily operate the betting. Or alternatively, uh, the companies could include the tribal casinos as a mobile sports betting partner as, as essentially one of the skins. And the tribal casino will have a, uh, a market access agreement with one of the mobile betting companies. So there's a way in which the bidders or the, the, the bidders are, are actually being incentivized to include tribal casinos in their bids because if you include them, that's going to be extra points, and it will inc it will increase the likelihood that a proposed bidder will be selected by the New York State Gaming Commission. Although there's no guarantee that all three commercial, uh, I'm sorry, there's no guarantee that all three tribal casinos will be included. And even under this arrangement, it's not as ideal as the tribal casinos operating their own mobile sports betting. You're giving them something less than what they had in the proposed legislation that had been championed by New York State Senator Joseph Adabo and by New York State Assembly Member uh, Gary Pretlow. So there is the prospect that the tribal casinos will be left dissatisfied by this process. There is also the potential that horse race tracks, OTBs, other gaming stakeholders in New York that are not casinos may feel left out of this process. And of course, the biggest change of all is that the casinos aren't going to be the operators of mobile sports betting under the framework that had been proposed in the state legislature by Adabo and by Pretlow, the casinos get to choose who their mobile partners are. So you take each one of the four upstate casinos, they're allowed to choose up to two mobile sports betting brands and they partner with those brands and control the mobile betting under the Governor Cuomo proposal, which has now been signed into law, the casinos have been supplanted by the state of New York. And now the state of New York, the state, the public, the, you know, the government is the contracting party in the relationship uh, with the mobile sports betting operators. So the casinos have been relegated to nothing more than a, um, a, a host 
of one of the computer servers. So if you're one of the four upstate casinos, you get paid a $5 million hosting fee for allowing your casino property to host the server that DraftKings, FanDuel, Barstool, or whomever will be using to process the mobile bets because under the state constitution, all sports betting has to go through the casino. So in order to maintain the uh, processing of the bet at the casino, there has to be a mobile, there has to be a computer server at the site of the commercial casinos that processes the bets. And by having that structure in place, it guarantees that the bet is made at the casino for purposes of the New York State Constitution. But other than that, you know, server siting, the casino has nothing to do with it. The casino won't be interacting with the customer. The casino, the, the customer won't be able to visit the casino to sign up for a mobile account. All of this, all of this is done external to the casino's, you know, uh, involvement other than acting as a, as a, as a host site for the server. So that becomes a complicating issue because the casinos have gone from a position where they're going to be getting a revenue share from one of their mobile partners under the old proposal. And now they're getting no revenue share. They're just getting a flat $5 million annual fee, which might sound like a lot of money to you or me, but under the, under the prior arrangement, they were guaranteed a stream of revenues from every single dollar of mobile sports betting revenues. And I would suggest that their expectation on an annual basis was to receive uh, a revenue stream of no less than eight figures annually, probably mid eight figures annually, whereas under this proposal, they're getting only a fraction of that. So unless the casinos can themselves become the bidders or have their own mobile skins, they're the big losers in this process, and they may have, um, you know, something to say about the legality of this process. So uh, I, I think there are potentially a number of stakeholders that might take issue with how this whole arrangement has been structured, and that could end up in a court case. Okay, so with that being said, potentially with these obstacles in the way, a court case could be on the way. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's likely or, or preordained. It just creates a risk that some uh, disgruntled sta stakeholder, it could be the tribes, it could be the racetracks, it could be the casinos, or it might even be any of the losing bidders. Because the, think, think of how think of how you'd feel if you're a barstool, DraftKings, or you know one of the entities that has a market access deal with one of the four casinos. You think you're in, and then the New York State Gaming Commission selects somebody else. So you've gone from, you know, being awash in green to now having nothing and to be to be a public company, a publicly traded company, which some of these companies are to go from ha having an expectation of participating in the largest mobile sports betting market in the United States to being shut out. Uh, that creates a basically feast or famine situation and creates some volatility and a lot of um, unhappiness in the executive suite and at the shareholder level. So uh, this could have this could be sort of the law of unintended consequences where New York, in a desire to maximize its tax revenues, has also potentially increased the legal risk associated with this structure by creating winners and losers. And when you have competitive bidding, uh, you know, inherent in the word competitive is competition and competition means some win, some lose. And in this arrangement, there'll be far more losers than there are winners. Do you believe we're going to have this upcoming football season? So September 2020, 
fans being able to go on their phones and mobilely bet in the state of New York? I know you've been waiting for this answer the entire interview. I'm going to make you wait just a little bit more because I want to give you the heads up. The NFL draft party is just eight days away. Join us at Hooters on Wolf Road. April 29th, the NFL draft party getting underway. Godzilla Media's first live event. Join us. We're giving away prizes all draft night for the top 10 picks. Sign up right now, GodzillaMedia.com, and try to be our online winner. 10 picks, whoever gets the most right online, top two prize winners get something really cool. Now, there at Hooters, we're giving away prizes for every pick. If you nail Trevor Lawrence, you're going to be entered to win that prize for the number one pick. Number two, all the way through 10, your chances to win. Plus, awesome beer specials, great food, wings as always. Shout out to Dan and Ricky and everybody over there at Hooters. Give them a follow on Instagram as well, Hooters of Albany. Always doing great things. Hooters, love them on Wolf Road. Cannot wait. Just eight days away from that event, the NFL Draft Party. Whether you're sticking around for one hour, one pick, one drink, the whole night, I can't wait to see you guys. Come support Godzilla Media. This is the way to do it. Join us on Draft Night. Live, Hooters, Albany, hanging out there through the top 10 picks and more. Now, I'll get you your answer. When can we legally bet on sports on our phones? Danny Wallach, tell us. I don't think that that's realistic because of the time frame and the process associated with competitive bidding. Let me explain how it works. The governor may have just signed the budget bill into law, which includes mobile sports betting. But since this is going to be decided by a bidding war or competitive bidding process, the next step is that on July 1st or by July 1st, the New York State Gaming Commission, which is located near Albany in Schenectady, will publish its bidding rules known as a request for applications. An RFA commonly referred to in other contexts as an RFP, a request for proposals, which is just basically an invitation for bids. And the bid and, and the proposal or the RFA will set out all of the requirements and what what kinds of details, extensive details, the prospective bidders are going to have to supply the gaming commission with. So uh, the, the deadline for submitting a response to the RFP will be August 1st, and then the gaming commission will have 150 days to review the applications, interview the applicants, interview their executives, and then make a decision within a five-month period. So measuring five months from August 1st, you're looking at the balance of calendar 21, which 2021, which basically means that there's almost no chance that mobile sports betting will go live in New York State before the end of this year, which rules out almost the entirety of the NFL regular season. I think the Super Bowl is much more realistic, which is an unfortunate thing, not only for betters, but for New York State, it, it forfeits what is probably the busiest time of the year in terms of sports betting activity. And while the Super Bowl, the NCAA men's final four basketball tournament are the largest or the most heavily wagered upon events in, in North American sports, the NFL season in its totality represents the peak for sports betting handle in all these different states. And it really is a lost opportunity for the state of New York uh, to forego those revenues for September through October, September through December, even if the Super Bowl is able to pick up some of the slack. I'm sure so many people who have listened to this podcast waited to the end to find out. They're like, no, come on, guys, Daniel, oh. guys, how could you do that? We didn't do it, okay? We're trying to get it to happen. Daniel didn't do it. Don't blame Daniel that you're not going to be able to bet on your phone for football season. He had nothing to do with this. That's correct. Even though I testified in, in, in Albany several years ago, even Don't though tell I him that, Daniel. No, no, no. 
<laughs> even though I know all the lawmakers and I've talked to the lawmakers over a period of a couple of years, believe me, I tried my best uh, to advocate for a legislatively proposed sports betting framework that creates parity among the casinos, allows them two mobile partners per casino that would have given the, the citizens of New York, the residents of New York, 14 different mobile sports betting apps to choose from. I went through all the virtues of that system and uh, the legislators with whom I spoke agreed with me, but unfortunately they met the immovable force in Andrew Cuomo. And since Andrew Cuomo is still the governor of New York state and as the governor, he has the ability and has the power to sign a bill into law, not having governor Cuomo's support basically means status quo, wait until next year. And the state legislature, state legislators, uh, I guess, took the view that something was better than nothing. And that something could eventually drive several hundred million dollars of annual tax revenues into the state of New York's coffers at a time where the state really needs it. So um, I, I, th I think it was unpalatable for the New York legislature to get into this tug of war with Governor Cuomo and basically say it's going to be our way or, or, or nothing at all. They didn't have the leverage. He had the leverage because because without his signature, without his approval, sports betting, mobile sports betting has no chance of occurring because it would never have come to a vote in the New York Assembly. And, and in any event, there wouldn't have been enough votes in the Assembly to override any veto. We covered a lot of stuff today. If you've got more questions for Daniel, at Wallach Legal on Twitter. SportsGamingLaw.com is the website as well. Look, you're doing national hits. You're doing podcast hit, radio hits. You're talking about all these great things. You've done your homework. You know all the information. And now you're doing a podcast as well. When do you sleep? Give us a little bit of a taste of what we can expect on your podcast as well. Oh, God. Well, the podcast transcends sports betting. I mean, I, I started this as a sports. I started Conduct Detrimental, which is a great name. Yes, it in is. The aftermath, in the aftermath of the Tom Brady Deflategate scandal, <laughs> where the NFL based its uh, suspension on its Conduct Detrimental policy. So that terminology uh, got so much airplay during 2015, 2016, that you, you couldn't go a day without hearing the term Conduct Detrimental. So I said, that's the perfect name for a podcast. And it stuck. And to this day, I think it's the best possible name. So what we what we handle on the show or on the podcast is consistent with its name, sports law disputes uh, that feature run the gamut from NFL disciplinary matters. We could be talking about Deshaun Watson, Tom Brady, anything that involves the potential discipline or suspension of NFL players, but it, but, but it runs the whole gamut of sports law. We just, we just did an episode on, you know, the, the super teams in, in, in Europe creating this like soccer league. Uh, so, you, you know, it, it really goes above and beyond sports betting. Although I have a feature within the podcast called the sports betting corner, where I basically take 10 or 15 minutes and I bring our listeners up to date on what's happening around the country. But it's like kind of escapism for me. It's one of the few um, uh, avenues that I have, a few outlets that I have to talk about sport, pure sports legal issues outside the realm of sports betting. Because once I've gone into my own law firm, uh, it becomes like a, an around the clock, uh, uh, you know, focus for me. I used to be a little bit more evenly divided between, you know, mainstream sports law and sports betting law. But now it seems 
uh, the predominant amount of my focus is on the sports betting side. So Conduct Detrimental gives me an opportunity uh, to, to kind of stay in touch with my uh, former sports law self, which is which is going to come back very shortly. I think once I once I'm back in the states um, and some of the state legislative sessions are at an end, I'll be able to have more of a, a, an even allocation between sports betting and sports law. So the reason I'm able to do it all is, you know, when you work for yourself, uh, you can borrow from Peter to pay Paul. And what I mean by that is uh, I could begin work at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. and just work till three, four in the morning. I don't have to be in an office. No one is uh, other than my clients. No one is demanding that I be in a particular place at a particular time. So I, I have autonomy over my own day, but it comes at a cost of uh, making it up at the back end, which is when most people are sleeping. Conduct Detrimental, by the way, is the second best name for a podcast behind Getting There with Goss. Getting There with Goss 1, Conduct Detrimental 2. Uh, I'll let you go on this, by the way. Getting There with Goss always ends with this. We ask for advice for younger listeners. We have a lot of younger listeners aged 18 to 22 who are in college, 23, 24, who are entering that professional work field for the first time. Give us your best advice, especially for some of the younger listeners who Want to be you to get where you are. This wasn't an opportunity 10, 15, 20 years ago to focus on sports wagering and sports betting and everything else. If there's a young student, law student out there who wants to do what you're doing, what's the best advice you can offer them? Uh, well, I'm going to speak I'm going to speak predominantly to the lawyers out there, young lawyers, law students, or wannabe lawyers. Um, I didn't get into this right away. I, I didn't start my you know career post-law school writing about sports betting and becoming a, you know an expert on sports betting. I became... Uh, a seasoned attorney it took about 20 years, at least 20 years, before I, I pivoted into something different. But it 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 all uh, drew from my uh, experience and expertise, and you know, um, um, uh, you know, substantive knowledge as an attorney. So I was able to take my you know skill set in my career with experience and apply it to an industry that I was enthusiastic about. So I guess that helps you if you're. 15 or 20 year lawyer, but if you're a first year lawyer, if you're young, if you're in that age range that, you know, guys, you just mentioned, uh, I would suggest that if you're going to be looking at law schools, uh, there are an increasing number of law school programs that offer, um, I wouldn't say specializations, but certificates in sports law that are good feeders uh, to jobs in the sports industry. I think Tulane is, is a school that offers that, Marquette, UCLA, University of New Hampshire. Boston College, University of Miami, I think there are uh, um, probably about 10, 15 schools that have dedicated sports law programs and probably an, ev an equal number that have sports management programs. So at this point in your career, when you don't have the experience, I think I think to to to, to pursue an educational or to pursue an education that has exposure to sports industry uh, issues, either through a law school program or a management program, sports business management pro program that focuses on the sports industry, at least that gives you some ideas as to how you can be relevant uh, in these industries. Otherwise, I would just say whatever you're doing in life, uh, it doesn't all have to happen in this moment. Uh, I, I had given no consideration, no thought to someday this is what I would be doing for a living. I was simply passionate about it, and I and I wrote uh, articles in my free time for no compensation. I mean, I I came across a, a guy on Twitter. I'm not going to mention his name, but he was a postal carrier. He was a postal carrier living in Kansas City, uh, 
and he loved sports and sports law and began to moonlight for free as a writer for these various sports blogs. And he's still writing for a few of them. And he's actually become one of the more visible. I don't know. I don't know how much he's getting paid, but I got, I got to tell you, I don't think of him as a, as a postal or a mail carrier. I think of him as like a journalist now. So wow. uh, no matter what you're doing, uh, you can find a way, uh, if not in the industry, but pointed towards the industry, uh, you know, through, through, you know, it could be academic programs, law, business, accounting, uh, I don't think real estate gets you there, uh, but it could be communications, could be interning for a radio station. Uh, there are many different ways to sort of break into an industry, but I think you have to focus on the process. I don't, I don't want to say trust the process, but I didn't get from point A to point Z overnight. It was an incremental, uh, long process. It may, it may have, it may have seemed meteoric to some people, but it still took three or four years of constant dedication before the opportunity for a new career path presented itself. So I think you got to dive right in. And if you, if you, if you're in college or in law school, I would say join organizations, uh, trade or, or trade associations or local bar associations, any large, large group, large organization that could give you a platform to host events, to, to sponsor roundtables in which you invite industry professionals, and that's how you meet them. I mean, there's so many ways. I could write the book on this, but basically you have to be relentless and uh, go above and beyond. And sometimes it takes dedication uh, beyond the hours of nine to five. But uh, I would say if you're, in a, if you're 18 to 22 and you're in college or in law school, uh, if the world may not be your oyster, but you can draw on this blank slate and pretty much make anything of your career that you want to, but you've got to start somewhere and, um, and you may not get immediate results, but over a long you know, time horizon, uh, you, you could get there if you stay with it, your talent, if you're talented and are extremely passionate about, the, about whatever subject or whatever industry you're pursuing. Well, when you write the book, I will write the forward for you for spending all this time with me today. This has been awesome. I've learned a bunch. I can't wait to find out what the future holds for sports betting. It's not the answers that I want all the time, but I think we've got a lot mm. more information. We're more informed because of you. And thank you for all the work that you've done. I appreciate getting to learn more about your career after all the other conversations we've had. Stay warm in Siberia. We're not done talking. I'm sure I'll call you in a few months and just maybe shoot you a text like, what does this mean? What does that mean? At Wallach Legal on Twitter. Daniel, thank you so much for the time, man. Sure, no problem. You know what time it is in Siberia now? It's uh, 2 a.m. So I, I feel like uh, Steve Summers on WFAN losing <laughs> SPORTS, you know, overnight. Uh, <laughs> well, here, you there. And that's I, I right. Just, like, it's like overnight radio. It is. It definitely is. Well, I'll sign off like Steve Summers. Oh, I forgot to sign off, anyways. Daniel, appreciate your time, man. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Talk to you soon.